0: What's involved, there is yet another episode and another fantastic guest, somebody I've been looking forward to speaking to. Uh, Do we call him an international man of mystery? Do we call him an entrepreneur? What do we call him? Well, I know one thing we can call him is Ross Drakes. Hello, Ross. Welcome. Hello, and thank you very much for having me on the show, David. I appreciate it. It's an absolute pleasure. So let's dive straight in, get into the meat and potatoes of it, as it were. Tell me a bit about Ross. Who is Ross? Where was he born? All of those interesting things.
1: So Ross is a a, a genetically a bit of a conundrum. I'm an English, Afrikaans, Scottish, Belgian. Um, So kind of each part of me dislikes the other part, um, except for the Belgian. He just sort of stays out of it and um, does his own thing. <laughs> um, but uh, I suppose it's, it's that, South African, that South African story that there were many people from around the world that somehow ended up here at the bottom end of Africa. And, and that's how I ended up uh, coming to, to life. I've got one claim to fame that my great-great-great-grandfather is Martini Tiena Stein who is the president who joined the Orange Free State into the Republic of South Africa. So that's about the, the most famous um, claim our family can make, I think.
0: <laughs> Very nice. Now, um, yeah. in, terms of, in terms of what you do, because you do a whole bunch of stuff now, and I, I want to get into that. But talk to me a little bit about, you know, did you, did you go to varsity schooling? Um, you know, what led you to where you are today? Yeah, so I was I
1: was a bit lost at the end of school, and I did what all all good sort of um, South Africans did um, in the early two thousands, and I went to the UK to go and stuff around for a few years. Um, but then one day I got a call from my father, and he said, "Listen, I think it's time that you come back to SA and and do something productive with your life." Um, and I chose to go and study at a what was then quite a small school, the Vega School of Brand Communication. So I studied branding and marketing. And during that time, uh, I decided that I actually wanted to get into motion graphics because I saw we used to uh, use the school's uncapped internet connection to download all of these amazing videos coming out of places like London and New York and Tokyo, and decided that's what I wanted to do with my life. So I, I left Vega and started to, to freelance. And at this time there was a piece of software called Flash um, which, if you are as old as I am, you'll know what that is. And there was a lot of people making cool flash games and adverts, and actually made a my living making banners for for people like Nedbank for their their websites and attempting to animate. Um, so, so sort of doing anything and everything exciting and creative. Um, but one of the people that I, I, I studied with was a man named Donovan Pugh, and he phoned me one day and said. I've got this empty office space um, and I want you to come and come and work here with me. And we're working with a man named Louis Gavin. And he said, if you, if you come here and you do a bit of work for Louis, you can, can have the office space for free. So we moved in there and did a lot of fun stuff, but ultimately one night on a a dance floor, we decided that we wanted to start our own company and that's how nice work was initially born uh, on a, on a dance floor in a, in a dirty club. Um, <laughs> we were both creatives. So we decided that we didn't want to do any of what we called then the boring stuff. So any of the finances or the business or the negotiation or the contracts, So, we roped in another friend of ours, Ben Foster, and nice work was born. Um, our business plan was quite simple. It was, um, borrow money from my dad, spend it all on an Apple Macintosh, get clients, sell them work, make lots of money retire young so so that was sort of the initial idea behind the business Um, okay so that's
0: how's it worked out so far
1: well it's i mean it's been a wild ride it's it's coming up on on 14 years now that we've been going for so so it took us a few years of just doing crazy things we we opened clubs in town the alexander theater we would design flyers and posters and websites and, and everything. And uh, it took us a while to figure out things like time tracking and profitability. Um, but now, uh, both Ben and Donovan have left the business to pursue their own dreams and I'm the, the, the man left behind. So yeah, we're going well, this has been a, a crazy year. Um, 2019 was quite hard and we sort of, came into 2020 with all sorts of optimism and actually some really, really good work and some some powerful uh, kind of projects about to sign on. And then this sort of COVID-19 thing kicked in, um, which has yeah. been a bit of a, a kick in the teeth.
0: Tell me about it. I also, I, I, I think back and I remember going into into this year and it was going to be 20 plenty Contracts were <laughs> lined up. We were yes. going to style this year and then literally got... Uh, Got uh, kicked in the, in the privates uh, by COVID, and said, "Guess what? Everything you thought is now going to change in a lot of ways." Yeah, uh, yes. just before we we continue, though So, what does Nice Work currently do? So we are we
1: help people build brands that people care about. Um, so so we're a brand building company and and that takes us on a quite a long journey so we can start all the way from from what is the name of this organization what is the purpose of the organization all the way through to how do we differentiate and position this thing Um, and then we get into sort of the 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 stuff that everyone always sees but for us is the least important piece of it is how does it all visually come together so then What does the logo look like? How do we select the right typography? What is the messaging? What does the website look like? Is there a beautiful animated video or all that kind of stuff? So we help people figure out what the dent is that they want to make in the world and how to talk about it in a way that gets people to act.
0: All right. Are are we, are we allowed to throw some names around? Would you tell me the kind of people you work with? So we work with
1: um so we, we, we're busy doing a, a third thing which i 'll talk about in a bit, but our two sort of core audiences is um, sort of medium to large businesses in South Africa um, and we get to work with all of their, their you know work with them all the way from sort of naming to branding to everything and then we help departments and corporations to to build out their their brand and to sort of communicate with people. So we work with brands like Blue Ribbon, um, Standard Bank, Nedbank, Vodacom. So on that's on the sort of big brand size. And then the small market companies we work with. There's companies like Bassel, which is a technology company. Um, who else? I mean, now my clients are going to get upset with me. There's Trainiac, which are they 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 are uh, kind of learning designers. So there's a a myriad of people that we work with um, and and I suppose that's one of the things that's kept us engaged for that long is that we get to step into these different worlds and I think what makes us good at what we do is this inherent curiosity. So we're as excited by a heavy engineer in Freenicheng who's making equipment for a mine as we are for a technology company that's building technology that's going to change the world. And we get to sort of jump into these worlds, um, figure out or help them figure out what makes them special and get them to communicate a, that, a, around that in a in a sort of exciting and, and compelling way.
0: Well, oh, okay. All right. Very humbly put, but certainly very, very impressive. Um, you also do a couple of other bits and pieces in... One of those is um, you're a member of EO South Africa. Now, I'm not nearly as cued up as I should be. Tell me about EO South Africa.
1: So, so EO stands for the Entrepreneurs Organization. And that is, it's a global organization. It's, our aim is to be the most influential organization of entrepreneurs in the world. So we are one of, I think, 162 chapters, if I'm not mistaken, And there's about 15,000 entrepreneurs around the world. Um, And essentially what EO is, it's for businesses that that turn over a million dollars or more um, in turnover a year. And to to describe it in the shortest possible way, it's like Alcoholics Anonymous um, for people who own businesses. So you get put in this thing called a forum, which is anywhere between seven and ten business owners uh, who don't compete with each other. And you, you go through a sort of facilitated process once a month um, where you dip into what we call the 5%. Um, and the 5% yeah. is the, that that piece of your your business, your family, your personal life that you wouldn't really talk to anybody else about, that you couldn't talk to anybody else about. And Forum is designed in a beautiful way using a principle called Gestalt, where Gestalt is you, you never judge anyone or comment or give advice all you can ever do is talk from your own experience so you say something to me and I go well David when you were talking what I what came up for me is a time when me and my brother were fighting you know and and you share a sort of story and then as as the person who's who's opening up about your five percent you have this opportunity to reflect on other people's experiences and extract the information that you need to sort of con- continue your journey and, and expand your awareness of, of the things that you, you might not be super aware of. Okay, well, that sounds
0: so, abso- it sounds absolutely fascinating. I, I was going to be a bit flippant and say, surely the likes of the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers got there before you.
1: Um, they're they're in the one percent which is a whole nother nother thing Uh, i suppose that's that's probably where everyone's trying to get Uh yeah so i think it's it's an interesting it's an interesting space because uh, you know like i really see entrepreneurship as a journey and and for me The Ross Drakes that started Nice Work with two friends 13 years ago, and the Ross Drakes standing here talking to you today are are two very different people. And I think for a long time, that development was kind of happening by accident. Um, And I think what EO has taught me is how you can be very intentional about this, and how, you know, if you sort of reflect on your weaknesses, and your strengths and and design and build your company and your organization and your team around those things. You can control not only your, your company, but you know, your company almost sets a lot of your, your world. So you can control your world that you live in and you can, can ultimately end up delivering better work, more meaningful work and stuff that fills you up as opposed to, to stuff that empties you out.
0: Okay, this is getting interesting. When we come back, uh, we're going to be continuing my chat with Ross Drakes, um, founder, CEO of Nice Work, amongst other things. I'm going to get into some of those other things just now because that fascinates me. We'll be back chatting to Ross Drakes in just a bit. And we're back. It is What's Involved and my special guest, Ross Drakes. Uh, I, I'm gonna, just going to go with international man of mystery because I like that. Um, <laughs> but Ross, you've, you've done, you've, and, and you come across incredibly humbly uh, about the stuff that you've done, but you, you've actually managed to fit quite a lot of living into the last few years, haven't you? Yes, indeed. Um, one of the things, and, and, and you know, nice work is, is, is brilliant, and it sounds like something you're absolutely passionate about. And after this amount of time, uh, I think it's great. If, if you can still be passionate about your business and entrepreneurship, because sometimes you, you tend to get caught in a, bitter, a bit of a rut. But you get out of the rut in all sorts of interesting ways. Um, one of the things that you do is uh, you talk about uh, Fortnite. How to make $2 yes. billion in 18 months using culture. And by culture, you're not talking about what comes out of a tub of yogurt, I'm assuming.
1: <laughs> no, not not at all. Um interestingly, in a in a previous life when I when I didn't have a small child, I used to play a lot of video games. And I think I think the video gaming industry is is such a fascinating one because you have these these triple A studios which are are you know kind of in the business world like your blue chip companies, they've they're well moneyed they've got development teams of 30, 40, 50, 60 people. And then you've got these independent studios, sometimes one-man band, two-man bands that are creating these games on on passion alone. And ultimately, they all end up sort of competing with each other. Um, And I think Fortnite for me is is a fascinating one. And I think there's a lot of lessons for for business owners and brand builders in how Fortnite has grown and and managed to sustain it. So, So generally... In the world of gaming, the natural cycle is you you launch a big game, you spend millions of dollars marketing it, it, it runs for a season which can be anywhere from a year to a year and a half, and then you need the the follow-on, you know, version 2, version 3, version 4 to come out to kind of sustain that hype. Now, Fortnite was a game that they had that was doing okay it was it was a mediocre kind of a mediocally successful title from from quite a big studio and they flipped it to a free to play model and they 've created a game that's managed to stay at the top of its if it's industry with massive competition well funded competitors coming in fighting for that same sort of space and they 've kept that that space for almost two and a half years now, which I think is quite quite interesting and and the thing for me that really excites me about how they do it is they they're at the forefront of and they are creating kind of the culture all the time so so they have these strange things where you you buy skins for your character that do nothing other than make your character look different and you can also buy like a pickaxe or a, a ninja sword that helps you smash up smash up these things and and essentially, they do nothing for the gameplay. They don't make you a better player. They don't make you stronger. They do nothing. They are literally just cosmetic items. But essentially, by tapping into the zeitgeist, they've created a business where the game is free to play, but you can purchase all of these items. And I think, on average, the last time I saw that, the average iOS purchase was about ninety rand. I mean, ninety dollars per player. So if you've got an audience of a hundred million players on ios alone you can see how the the money there stacks up and i think what interests me is how this uh, it's a great teaching tool for me because uh, most of the the people i speak to are are too old to play this game so so they kind of know about it because often their children are spending you know hundreds of thousands of hours playing the game so they know about it and they're interested in it but they they don't actually have the first-hand experience of it so so i love talking about it because it's 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 got some great lessons for for brand builders and and company owners but it's also an insight into how some children are living i think you know people think Fortnite is a game but i think at the core most of this online gaming and Fortnite is just one of them is actually part of how the generation, the younger generation beyond us, kind of how they get together, how they engage with each other, how they are creating their identities have been created in these digital spaces.
0: It's, it's fascinating that you say that because as I think back, I mean, in my younger days, I also used to be um, a, a rabid gamer, um, but mine was in the, in the, in the days of Wolfenstein and, and Doom and those kind of things. Um, yes. But at, at the moment in the house, I have a, a, a 21 year old who is absolutely addicted to, to, to playing Fortnite. And, and um, he showed me what to do and how to do it. And I just, I don't know, I don't have the interest anymore. But um, it, it is certainly something um, that, that has changed lives. I mean, and when I said to him, Oak, oh, is it a single player game? And he looked at me like I was absolutely insane. Mad. And he was like, what? Why would you want to do something like that? It's about the teams and his mates and everybody's got this, that and the next thing. And obviously, as avid gamers, there are certain times when they do complain and go, yeah, if you want to get this, then you have to pay. And I'm like, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> it's, it's one of those things. And, and it's, it certainly is a model that seems to have worked uh, for the creators of Fortnite.
1: Well, if you think about it, when, when we were gaming, you know, when, when it was our, our generation's gaming, you used to go to your friend's house and then you would sit on the couch and watch your friend game. So it was a way of you getting together and, and it was an activity. Now, essentially going to your friend's house has been replaced with, with you connect over the internet and you play. Um, but we, we interestingly had a, a guy who worked at our, our company for a while and he had a small son who he wasn't allowing to play Fortnite because he was like, I don't want this person to play this. And essentially what was happening is his son was being left out of the experiences that the other children were having at the school. So he started to lie and he started to make up stories about playing for Fortnite because he felt so left out of, of what was going on. But ultimately as all children are, they found out and then they obviously used it to, to kind of make his life an absolute misery. So ultimately they they let him play the game because it's such a part of their culture and their growing up that's it's not just a game and i think there is that generational gap where you see it as a game but it's it's much more than that yes you are playing a game but it's how they kind of connect and identify with each other
0: well just speaking of that one of the most amazing things is um, i'm very lucky and privileged enough to host another uh, podcast as well which is called the education show and uh, i've just recently chatted to one of the teachers um, and she is she's using Minecraft to actually help students and teach students and they're creating this wonderful little repo- uh, repository in Minecraft. And initially I was like, You wanna what? And then suddenly it all began to make sense for me. And you know, to get across that that kind of learning and that experiential learning, I mean it's a brilliant way of doing it.
1: Oh definitely. I think these. So interesting. One of the things NiceWork did right at the beginning of COVID is we helped a few, some of our clients are in the education space, and we helped them get online. And I think the biggest leap has been for the teachers who are trying to figure out how to take the classroom online. Um, But for their students, it's actually quite easy for them because they're so used to things like, Twitch and Discord and live streaming games. And you, you like you think while you're live streaming a game, you are chatting in text sometimes. You're also chatting over audio, you're playing a game, you're paying attention, you're strategizing and you know, so, so the kids are used to multiple layers of communication, multiple layers of information coming at them. Whereas the teachers are used to a single you stand up there and you deliver content, you know? So, so I think the biggest shift has been for the educators and the most successful ones are the ones that, you know, like this lady you're talking about are are using the tools that exist because that's how to keep your audience engaged. Um, and if you come back to it as, as just simple, simple business, if your audience is on LinkedIn, you have no reason to be talking to them on Facebook, you know? And, and I think, we, we very used to in the business world thinking, okay, I'm going to go to where my audience is and I'm going to communicate to them there. But for some reason in education that, that leap didn't happen as naturally and the children are on things like discord and Twitch. So, and Minecraft and, and fortnight. So if you can deliver your history class in a Fortnite match, you know, do you think your, your kids are going to be more or less engaged um, by doing that? So, so that sort of makes me very excited that people are, are shifting and embracing these new, new sort of technologies and using them in exciting ways.
0: Well, I, I got to tell you, I mean, my, my fiance is an instructional designer. And before COVID, the, some of her clients that you worked with, she was saying to them, you've got to get this stuff online. We've got to get yeah. it online. It's the way of the future. And everybody's going... Yeah, well, um, you know, and they were like, "Why should we change? Because it's always been done this way." Um, yes. And then obviously COVID happened, and everybody suddenly went, "Whoops, uh, we now need to make a plan," and and have been scrambling and scrambling furiously ever since then. But enough, enough of this sort of it, because I got a couple of more things I need to get through with you. Um, aside from whatever the new thing is that you're you're doing, because you're not. Uh, a a stranger to podcasting and being on air. We're going to talk about that when we come back. My special guest is Ross Drakes. This is What's Involved. We'll be back in just a bit. And we're back with What's Involved and Ross Drakes, my special guest. Uh, Just before the break, uh, we were talking about uh, you not being a stranger to uh, this podcast. radio podcasting thing now you pretty much like me and i don't know where you fit this into your life uh but you host two podcasts at the moment am i correct yes and potentially a third in the near future Uh okay so so tell me tell me a bit about your podcasts so so the
1: first podcast that i started is called radio um and and coming back to the entrepreneurs organization every time I would meet somebody in EO and just have this conversation about their life journey and how they've ended up where they are and what their business entails and what their philosophy on life is. It was so interesting to me. Um, And at the time I was the communications chair of the local Joburg chapter. And the then president was a man named Rich Mulholland. And he was like, let's put this into a podcast. I know Rich.
0: Okay.
1: Oh, yeah, so that was how radio was born, and and now we just have these amazing conversations with entrepreneurs in South Africa and around the world who've just done amazing things. And you know, some of the conversations, you know, one of the one of the EO members was a, a coder, and he ended up hacking into NASA and nearly got a criminal record in the US, but ultimately got out of it because he built some software for them. You know, there's just these these like rich and vibrant and, and different stories. And, and I've always been uh, a curious person. And I think it's why I've ended up in the career that I've ended up in. So this was a way of me asking those stories and, and reaching out to people.
0: Right, and, and after doing that for a while. Sorry, mate, carry on. I was going to say, how did you get into the second one? But uh, please do carry on.
1: Yeah, so, so after I'd done that for a while, I was like, well, you know, we kind of do the same thing at nice work so so every single meeting that myself and my team go to generally a few things are said one is can we just ask you one more question which is normally as we're walking out the door we see something or we forget that we didn't ask something and we ask another one and the other one is that people always say like you ask such interesting questions so so we started one more question to to Scratch that itch and to to have these conversations more regularly and with more intention and to to allow us to sort of expand our worldview a little bit. so so we're just about to finish season two, which has all been around purpose, but not not that uh, millennials on Instagram purpose or uh, an amazing campaign by your agency purpose. Um, But like people who've used their their organizational purpose as a driving factor, as a navigator, as a, as a compass. So just exploring how people have used purpose tactically to grow their business and to give themselves direction. And our next season is all around branding. So, so now we're expanding. How does, how does a brand impact people's lives and how do people think about branding?
0: Okay. That, that, it's fascinating. And I mean, when I think about, you know, just the fact that you, you, you run your own business and you're doing these podcasts and you've just said you've got a, a little one uh, that's in the picture as well. I, I just wonder where you find the time for this because it is quite time consuming.
1: Yeah, I suppose with the podcasts, the, the, the challenge has always been uh, just setting up a really good workflow. Um, so, so we've got a Bulletproof workflow and f- for me personally most of my time is spent in the the researching who i want to talk to in the actual interview and luckily i've got an amazing team who then picks up from there and does all the heavy lifting um radio has been less regular as of late because it's it's a lot reliant on me to do the actual work and and i've struggled to find that time um but interestingly i see it's I think the the job of the the CEO or the, the the leader of a business is to to keep one foot in the future. I think I think you've got two jobs. The one is to make sure that your team is 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 grounded and safe and focused and included. But I think your other one is to keep looking forward and to keep going out there and, and testing. And for me, the podcasts are a great way of doing that. It's a great way of of reaching out to people who you would ordinarily not have any reason to speak to and picking their brain for a little bit um, it's a great way of getting a sense you know once you've spoken to 10 11 12 people around a topic you start to to pick up the patterns of success you start to see how people have used it you start to get these little nuggets so so even though it does take back time for me i think the the payback has been tenfold uh you know from, from what i've put into it
0: but let's let's talk about this a little while, because I about two years ago I said, "You know what? I think podcasting is is the future, um, and I'm a radio person, and for me to say that as a radio person, people looked at me and raised eyebrows, and yes, I said, I thought, Yeah, I said, I firmly believe that you, you don't have to have one or the other, but in terms yeah. of being able to promote yourself, your business, what you do. Um, and and get involved. More importantly, I believe to to show and and to to give back to people. Um, specifically, if you've been successful in in a certain line or a certain part of your life, to give back to people and to say to people, this is what we do. Um, something which uh, maybe wrongly show. I'm talking to a, a master. Uh, I'm talking to a marketing genius now, but um, I used to call it incidental marketing because yes. you weren't trying to. Sort of seriously sell anything to, to anybody, but you were talking about your brand, your company, whatever the case may be. Have you found that to be true with you? is Is podcasting growing? Is it something that that is going to grow more?
1: So I think podcasting is definitely growing. Uh, I think people potentially feel disillusioned with podcasting when they go into it for the wrong reason. I think it is definitely one of those long play you know, so so it is something that you invest in over a period of time. Um, but the the really powerful thing is is that we found is actually not so much the podcasts themselves, because I think the people who are willing to put aside thirty minutes, forty minutes, you know, to to listen to a podcast, those are your fully engaged audience. Those are the ones that really care about what you do. But very interestingly, what we found is that people see that you're doing it. And we do a lot of work of extracting out little video clips, little one minutes, 60 seconds, 30 seconds, um, and putting that out there. And, And that has a great sort of halo effect around the business. So people that haven't necessarily listened to the podcast, they haven't necessarily gone through the whole episode, but they do know that you're doing it. And that's quite powerful. And then we do a thing where we... Quite intentionally, if we have a meeting with someone and they're talking about struggling with a thing or they're trying to unpack a concept, you can actually start sending those that content on to people to say, "Hey, listen, I know you were talking about how to differentiate in a in a commodity market, and here we spoke to you know a man who, who took popcorn and elevated it to sell it for seven dollars a bag." You know, so then it's it becomes an interesting tool that people are like, "Okay, not only did he listen to me." and cares about my problem but they've also already created this bank of of content and information which is something that's that takes time and energy and effort and i think people notice and and recognize that
0: yeah absolutely well at least i feel a bit of validation and i and i and i do need (laughs) i do need that because i'm over 120 episodes in already so yeah otherwise i would have been seriously barking up the wrong tree um ross one more thing, I know that you you do currently do, and then onto the new thing. When we come back, uh, we're going to wrap up and find out uh, what Ross does as well. And and you know, we're going to find out way too for Ross Drakes. And uh, nice work. We'll be back. It is what's involved. And we're back with what's involved, wrapping it up with uh, Ross Drakes, and. Uh, Sure, you know what? I, I, I say this always, and people are probably sick and tired of it. But time flies when you're having fun. I, I can't believe we're almost <laughs> at the end of our at the end of our time. And I feel like I haven't even spoken to you about half the things I want to. Uh, let's get on to Creative Mornings Johannesburg. What on earth is that? So Creative Mornings is a series of free
1: talks that happen once a month around the world. Um, and It's essentially creative people celebrating the talent in their cities. And we have been hosting Creative Mornings in Johannesburg for almost eight years now. And it started at a time when we were doing a lot of particularly boring, particularly profitable corporate work. And we were looking to scratch an itch. So... So we brought Creative Mornings here. It was started in New York and, and now it's been sort of turned into this network of volunteers across, across the globe. But I see it as something that is, is, is good for our soul and is good for the soul of our industry. So we, we just invest in finding these amazing, talented, brilliant people and giving them a stage to, to talk to other people who might need to, to hear what they say.
0: Brilliant stuff. I, I, I seriously don't know where you, where you find time to fit all of this in. But more importantly, because uh, in terms of your business, when COVID struck, it must have all come to a grinding halt. And yet, as I understand it, you guys have done quite well during this time. And I think that is so inspiring and uplifting.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was, like I said, it was a kick in the teeth. Like we had we had a whole bunch of works like in, in the final phases of, of a, uh, like getting signed off and kind of March, it all just came tumbling down. I mean, our revenue in April was 30% of, of what it was the month before. Um, wow. But, but we, you know, so, so we battened down the hatches, any non-essential spend was cut and thrown out the door. And we just went through a process of, of looking at what do we have that people need, um, and I think you know unfortunately, the world we sit in in terms of branding and communication it 's often seen as a nice to have so anybody who was a little bit scared or a little bit worried about finance just i think stopped spending in that that realm. I think that was the first thing that happened um, So it 's
0: so always it 's always a strange thing to me that whenever there is sort of financial uncertainty the first thing to go is marketing and advertising which just doesn't make sense in my head It
1: doesn't but uh, i think it's it's partially the the creative's fault is creative people don't like to be measured and i think when times are tough and people are freaking out they want stuff that feels concrete and and it doesn't, you know, kind of pretty design, doesn't feel concrete, it doesn't. And and I think that's to our, our own faults. But if you look at how people like um, Bain and BSG and Accenture and Instant Young, where are they expanding? Where are they putting more and more energy into? It? It's into creativity, it's into marketing, it's into communications, it's into branding. Um, but they are doing it in a way that's, that the sort of traditional creatives have not and, and they're happy to be measured because a lot of them are like ex-auditors and you know where it's all about measurement. So so I think I think that'll shift in the in the next while. And I think we we're seeing um companies that that continue to market through this time are gonna in the long term do much better than those that just sort of shut down and, and went dark.
0: Now, how has it affected you, the, the, the pandemic? I mean, it sounds like there was a, a lot of reflection that had to happen.
1: Yeah, so, so it, it was tough. And, but, I mean, to my team, like, my team hustled super hard in the beginning of, of lockdown. We, were tr- like, we tried all sorts of things. Like I said, we helped some schools get online. We released a report called Finding North, which is how people could think about communicating in this time um and and we also went back to a lot of our clients and said okay well how can we how can we help you at this time and sometimes it was doing work for a a much lower rate than we normally would have but good to sort of keep the wheels turning and and interestingly i think a lot of that work has started to to bear fruit but the, the the question we were asking ourselves is how do we how do we offer the value we know we provide, but at a much more affordable rate? Because I think I think cash is going to be such a killer in the next sort of eighteen months in South Africa. So, so we've actually gone through a whole journey of taking a lot of the work that we do, and we've turned it into a series of courses. Um, so, coming the beginning of September, you're going to be able to go through all of our purpose finder workshops and our, our brand impact studies and, and how to craft a, a, a brand that people ultimately care about. Um, we've, we turned those into self-service um, courses. And that allows us to do an interesting thing. It allows us to switch from a model of one-to-one, which is sort of the last 13 years of nice work um, to a model of one-to-many um, Which has allowed us to look at a pricing structure which is would never ever ever be feasible um you know without sort of doing this and we can still do some really amazing things and this is where i think it all starts to come together so so we're already doing podcasts we want to start doing sort of more video work and it can all start feeding into the same world of of helping people and teaching people because i think Ultimately our purpose is to to make things that people care about. And and I think this is the next iteration of our business. If we were to think of ourselves as just a just another branding agency, you know, then the solution is how do we sell more branding? But but we don't think of ourselves as that. We think we have something of value that, that people need. And we'll always have our core clientele, which are people who a see value in what we do, and B have the budget to spend the money that they need. But there's a whole nother group of people. So you know, we're seeing lots of people who were in large corporations as consultants. Um, they've been let go, and now they need to almost become a business overnight. And one one of the first things you need as a business is is that that question to to you know, what do you do, and why should I care? And, and that's, that's our bread and butter. That's where we, we love to work. And this is an opportunity for us to serve a much broader audience and, and ultimately a global audience because it doesn't require us to be physically in the same location.
0: Now, would you say, though? Because I, I, I love the way that you, that you talk about this and the fact that you know, a lot of people are, are, and still to date, are going, can't wait to get back to normal, can't wait to get back to normal. My feeling is there's not going to be a normal like we were used to at all but do is, you think there, sorry
1: Ross, yeah there is no new normal there is this is the new normal like this is we are only gonna we are here and we are just going to iteratively change from this point on i think the world that we left behind is never coming back again and i think anyone who is believing in that is is basing it on hope or uh, you know something that doesn't exist
0: yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you. But in terms of this, and in terms of this crisis and everything, what has it done for the soul of your business? Has it has it changed it to become more about how? Because you mentioned a few times, help, help, how you can actually help people. Has it become a more soulful business?
1: I think one of the things we've always been very good at is, is caring and, and like actually genuinely wanting the people we help to, to succeed. I think the gift that, that COVID has given us is we realized how passionate we are about this work and how we want to work with people who we respect and who respect us. So, so the huge change for us is we've actually, we've, we've, moved away from some relationships, um, suppliers and clients that just weren't, they weren't feeling us and they weren't feeling them. So, so we've moved on from that. And I think it's emboldened us to lean into that a lot more and to, to know that the work we're doing has value and it helps people. And I think with that as fuel, it allows you to ideate and to, to explore things with a lot more uh, kind of vigor and, and intention
0: yeah makes makes sense to me um, you mentioned something else uh, right at the beginning of our interview that you're going to talk about was that the, the the online courses or is there yet more
1: no no so, so this is this is it so we're launching we're launching this this these courses and and for us it, it all comes down to to purpose to organizational purpose we think that there's there's three components to any kind of company or or thing that grows in a sustainable way and when when I say sustainable I think COVID has shown us how many businesses were unsustainable Um, you know how many of them were growing at a rate that they just couldn't continue to grow at and they had to sort of gear themselves from a debt perspective you know in a way that was unfeasible or how many businesses were trading on such fine margins that that being shut down by even a week or two was just enough to to kill them. Um, So so I think there's three pieces to that. The first is, I think, being a purpose-led organization. I think if you understand what dent you are trying to make in the world, you've got something really special that you can talk about. And if you can take that and translate it into an impactful brand, and when I say an impactful brand, I mean a brand that has an audience in mind and, and is trying to solve something do something make their life better in some kind of a way and if it communicates in that way then then you get the the final piece which is is the most powerful for us but the one that you can't replicate with money and that is uh, an engaged audience and you know I, I studied uh drama many many years ago and i think the definition of an audience has changed in the social media world, but I like the one that that comes from theater and that is people who have chosen to show up at a certain time to sit in a seat and to listen to what you have to say. And I think if you've got an audience, you're in a really, really powerful place. And I think people say we have an audience, but it's, it's so often not the truth. They have, some likes on Facebook or some people that they once talked to. Um, We've always, uh, for our client lists, I won't list any client that we haven't worked with in the last six months because I think every company goes out there and they show this amazing client list and you go, oh, okay, well, when did you work with Nike? Oh, well, we worked with Nike back in you know, 2001. We did one project with them. You, they're not a client anymore. They're not part of your audience. They're not part of the group of people that's listening to, to what you have to say. And I think if you see the businesses and the people that have done really well in this time, it's because they have this audience and they care about them and they've been, been doing right by them for a long time. And those people stick by you. And, and I think when we try and when we were helping people communicate in this time, it's about what is that? What is the difference you're making in these people's lives and how do you help them in this time? Because ultimately those relationships are what's going to stand you through the next four years, five years, six years of your business.
0: Almost time for us to to wrap up. Ross, before I let you go, though, um, a piece of advice that you would give to somebody listening to this show, whether it's a business owner, a prospective business owner, or somebody that's just caught in this, this downward spiral, what piece of advice would you give people like that? To, to sort of lift themselves out of this. Yeah, and just, you know, something, what can they do?
1: I think for me the, the 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 biggest lesson I've had on a personal thing is is a little bit of forgiveness. And it's forgiveness of yourself because I think we're also, you know, and I think it comes back to that conversation we're having about the new normal. Um we're all expecting to to be in a world where this anxiety and pressure and tension of COVID and the impending economic collapse is not there anymore. And I think that's going to be with us for a while. And I think, you know, while, while nice work in the team, we're trying really hard and we're building a lot and we're doing a lot. Some days are better than others. And some days you do nothing and other days you do a lot. And I think being kind to yourself and forgiving yourself in those down times is it's such a a powerful thing because it allows you to stand up the next day and try again. Um, And as opposed to stacking the, the guilt up again and again and again and again, because eventually that just becomes an uncarryable burden. And I think that can make people just stand still and do nothing.
0: Some wonderful advice. Ross, thank you so much for taking the time out of what is apparently and obviously a very, very busy schedule to have a chat to me. Uh, I I really do appreciate it. If people want to find out more about what you do, um, your podcasts, um, you say one more question, season two is coming out very soon. Uh, Is that available on things like iTunes, et cetera, et cetera?
1: It's available everywhere you get podcasts if you just search for one more question. If you want to find me, just look for Ross Drake's everywhere uh, or rossdrakes.com. And if you want to see our work, it's uh, nicework.co.za. You can find all of our work
0: there. Rossdrakes.com or nicework.co.za. Ross, thank you. I really, really appreciate it. It's been a great chat and I hope we can do some more of them uh, because I don't think we've even scratched the surface yet.
1: David, I'd love to chat to you again. I, I always enjoy having good conversations.
0: Wonderful stuff. And that is my special guest, Ross Drakes. This has been What's Involved. And to each and every one of you, thank you for listening.